0: while people were coming, some of us were talking about the wedding yesterday and the sermon came up. And I, I think uh, one of Celeste's friends had one of the best comments about the sermon. He said that the, the, the pastor, bishop, that we were, yeah, he's a bishop, uh, who uh, was preaching was guilty of going 50 in a 30-mile-an-hour zone. <laughs> And another commentator said there are going to be a lot of pastors trying to be enthusiastic today in the UK. Um, yesterday when I was working on my sermon, and one of the things I literally do is I meditate, I pray on it. I mean, you know, I write outlines. I mean, I've brought stuff from the past, uh, and I, you know, you try to change it for the audience And one of the things that can happen with a text like this is that you immediately jump to verse 6. Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. That's a verse that I used as what I think of as an evangelistic club when I was in high school. That was the word... But one of the things is I looked and I said to myself, I thought, why does he start what we think of as this chapter? And remember, you have what is called the upper room uh, discourse, sermon, whatever you want to call it, going from chapter 13 through chapter 17. But look at how he starts it. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You see, that's why verse 6 is an answer to a troubled heart. Now, whose hearts are troubled? We're going to look at that near the end, but it was his disciples because that's who he's, he's talking to. And I think he realizes what he said and what we think of as chapter 13 probably troubled them. I mean, he'd undressed and washed their feet. That made them very uncomfortable. That kind of intimacy, that kind of reversal of roles, that he would act as a servant and say, I have to do it. And then in verse 21, he said that one of them was going to betray him. And then he had given them a, a new commandment. He dropped something on them that he's going to develop later on in this discourse in the upper room. Truly a new commandment I give you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this all people will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Truly I say to you, one of you will betray me. See, I will tell you that as I was maturing, growing up in my early 20s, that there was a great desire to get things right theologically. But I had a pastor who the senior year of my, in college, the year Celeste and I were married, who preached through this part of John, who reminded me and put into my heart... For God to begin to work, because it was, it was kind of, you know, in terms of my style and my personality. That the mark of God's people is that they love each other. And that would have been almost very revolutionary to the disciples. Because you had the Pharisees who wanted to be right. You had the Sadducees who wanted to be right to control people. Then to Peter, this is probably what troubled him the most, that Peter would deny him three times. Can you imagine the Lord laying that on you in this intimate thing in front of your friends, in front of the people you'd spent three years with? That even though you make all these boasts, Peters, you're going to deny me. So Jesus starts, let not your heart be troubled. Now, what I want to do is end up there. In other words, I'm going to look at some other parts, and then we're going to come back to that. Because I think that question that he asks us, that he asks his disciples, so I want to look at the big part of the thing in verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life but to realize that that is the way to the Father through him. See, if we make this about the truth, which is kind of, and I'm saying this, you, it's part of my background, that's what I would do, I would jump at the truth. Because when I was growing up in Christianity in the 60s and early 70s, that's what we banged away with. Now, I will tell you that I am concerned that in this age of fake news and all the things that happens on the internet and people saying, oh, we've got to know the truth, we've got to know the truth, that we're going to come back and we're going to bang people over the head with a Christian truth rather than show them the way, be a loving community and show what life is. Now, yes, we're going to talk about the truth. We're going to say that Jesus is the truth. He is the only way. That is one of the biggest stumbling blocks to our modern community to say that Jesus is the only way of salvation and it leads to the Father. And that's kind of what we're going to spend most of our time looking at this morning. But then we're going to come back to do not let your hearts be troubled. Because I know as a pastor of over 40 years that oftentimes it is not the ideas that capture people's attention in a sermon but it's touching their hearts where they are. And we're gonna talk about how our hearts, individually, collectively, as families, as communities, how they're troubled today and how Jesus then speaks to that. Now, you're getting to know me, so you know that context is important. Why are they in the upper room? It's Passover. Passover reminds the Jewish people of what God did in the Exodus. What Jesus wants them to get ready for is for something that's going to be bigger than the Exodus. You know, I don't know what the, the biggest event in your memory in Scotland or English history or world history would be? But God, through Jesus Christ... As dramatic as the Exodus was, is going to do something even more dramatic by putting his own son on the cross, putting him in a grave, raising him from that grave, having him minister, speak, teach, and then be taken up into heaven knowing that he's going to come back. Now, I think that in our modern community, that saying that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, that all three of those things are stumbling blocks to modern people. They're stumbling blocks to people around the world. As I listened to the bishop preach yesterday, and I listened to the commentators afterwards, one of the things that I thought is... Here is a man who through television is just preached to approximately 1.2 billion people. 12 minutes. That people all around the globe, on television sets, internets, phones. 1.2 billion people. He talked about love. Now there's a lot of things, all of us preachers would change and do things differently, but, but I just think of the power and the opportunity. But yet when we look at this passage, and we think about this verse in helping us to clarify to our neighbors, because that 1.2 billion is something that, thank, thank you very much. When I was a young pastor, I studied advertising because I wondered, how do people you know advertising <clears throat> gets people into the showroom. A salesman makes a sale. See, having 1.2 billion people hear something is not the same as a conversation with a neighbor, a conversation with a child, a conversation with a coworker will you really have the opportunity to present a verse like John fourteen six in its context and in a relationship to offer them the gospel? Because if you look at it before we go down to verse 6, <clears throat> it says, believe in God, believe also in me. Remember how again and again in these I am's he is asking the question. Remember last week I am the resurrection to Mary, to this woman. He says, do you believe? Here he's getting it up front. Now, Jesus being the way is something that you could literally preach a whole sermon on because there's so many Ways in the scripture that speak of Jesus Christ being the way, the way to the Father. And see, that's one of the things that we have to remember is this isn't about getting something right. This is about getting to the Father. Because that's what Jesus is all about. He came to show us the Father. He came to do the Father's will. He came to speak the Father's words. He is the way to the Father. The Son is taking us there. Now, we have seen other I am's where he is the life, but here I am the way, the truth, and the life. We look around at a world that is divided, dying, destructive, dysfunctional, all those D words that we use to describe what we're going through as individuals and as a culture. But he talks about life. And I will repeat something I said last week that no matter how hard our situation is, no matter how difficult and disappointing life might be, as a Christian, each day I wake up knowing that I am in Christ and He is in me. That is a foundational thing we as Christians can know that we have the life. And it's a life that he tells us he is not going to take away. Now, thinking about Jesus Christ being the truth. Remember, that was a question that Pontius Pilate asked him. But yet Jesus, in telling us, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Putting those three things together with the truth in the middle. Because he has come to reveal the Father to us, because he has come from the Father, he is giving us an understanding because we can communicate with him. I think one of the most wonderful things that is often overlooked when we think about creation is that God created us so that we could understand Him, so that He could reveal His Word to us, through the prophets, to the Apostles, through writing it down, through being inspired, that we can say God has spoken, and Jesus is the truth. That is a word and a phrase that I think in discipleship or in evangelistic conversations that that we will have to listen to people to understand what they think truth means so that we can bring them back to scripture. Because if we say we believe Jesus is the truth, then we can back up in our sermon series anyway, a week, and ask, do you believe that Jesus Christ rose from the dead? Do you believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins? Do you believe that Jesus Christ is coming back again? Who do you believe Jesus Christ is? See, we live in a world where people want to shape their own truth. I mean, that's one of the things that I think this whole fake news, true news, things like that, is really going to make people, I hope, Think about, and Christians can speak into it in a way not to beat people up, but to just softly say, you know, what are you really looking for when people say they want the truth? Is it just something to make them feel better, to make them seem like their ideas are right, or is it about Jesus Christ? And I think this is going to create opportunities for evangelism that will take a lot of discussion. You've heard me use the illustration that Francis Schaefer used to use with us, that he says when he's on a train ride, he listens for 50 minutes before he'd even talk for 10. And I think today you listen for 55 before you talk for 5, because the bridge is so big for most people to get them to say that Jesus is who he says he is. It is not a topic, not a subject that's going to go away. No one comes to the Father except through me. See, that's why he is the way, the truth, and the life, so I can go to the Father. He wants them to believe in God and to believe also with me. Verse 7 says, you had known me, you have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen me. In my own experience, I have to go back again and again and say it's not about being right, it's about knowing the Father. It's about having that intimate relationship that, (sighs) later on in this chapter, in verse 18, he makes a statement that is so powerful about why we need to know the Father. In verse 18 he says, I will not leave you as orphans how many people feel abandoned, feel disconnected, whether it's in their families or their communities? And you've heard me say this before. Why are orphan stories so popular in English literature? I mean, the most recent big orphan is obviously Harry Potter. But you go back to Dickens, Peter Pan. All these orphan stories and God's, through Jesus, says, I will not leave you as orphans because I'm leading you to the Father. You know, one of the things in, uh, you know, I I see the news through the literature that I've read. I look around at what's happening with young people and it reminds me of Peter Pan when the the lost boys are on that little island and they never want to grow up. And they're orphans. They were street kids who were taken from the streets and brought to this island where, you know, eventually Wendy and Peter Pan are going to take care of them. But Jesus came to bring us to the Father. See, it's not to be the smartest person in the room. I went through a stage like that, and then I realized I'm never going to be the smartest person in the room. But sometimes you try to act like that. Because when I was in college and all of a sudden all this wonderful knowledge through these unbelievable teachers was coming to me. And Francis Schaefer came and just opened up a whole new world and my professors opened up unkind, un- unbelievable knowledge in a Christian college. But that pastor kept bringing us back to it's about love. It's about coming to the Father. See, I don't know what troubles your hearts. I know some of you are troubled. There are families where the generation of grace seems to have been interrupted. pray for your children and for your grandchildren, you want God to touch their hearts. You have friends in your family who were troubled through divorce, and you want to help them and love them and help them not to feel abandoned. But see, the immediate response from Jesus in opening up this idea of having a troubled heart is to believe in God and to believe also in me. And that is something that is belittled by our community. In America, we just had another shooting. Nine, Nine students, one teacher dead. And a lot of people say our... Thoughts and prayers are with you, and there are people who say, that doesn't do any good. But yet I will tell you that if we are not willing to believe in God and to believe in Christ, if we're not willing to have that kind of solid foundation as we seek to love our neighbor as ourself, to love each other to be a sign that God is among us, and then to build onto a public discussion which leads to a public policy that may work. But see, I think, you know, can you imagine how troubled the hearts of that young seventeen year old man is? How troubled the Greek Orthodox community church that he is a part of, how troubled their hearts are. How did we miss this young man? How did we not reach out? People will look in hindsight and realize the missed conversation, the missigns, signs and things like that. This is a place that breaks your heart because you know that there were people who thought they knew him and thought they loved him. But yet as a teenager, he hardened himself. He angered himself. He armed himself. There's a lot of that that I'm wondering, okay, where were the adults in the room? But yet, I will tell you, in our culture in America, I mean, we know a young man who we worry about because he has five AR-15s as well as shotguns and handguns. It's like, why do you need that? And they give you reasons, but it's like, nah, it's just something that builds up your ego. But how do you penetrate people like that? And the trouble that brings his family, his mother, his father. I think as a church, as we seek to reach out, that we, we need to value and know the truth. But we know the way that it's going to give, God is going to give to us is through the troubled hearts of our neighbors and families. That's where we're going to build the bridge so that we can say Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. is through listening to their troubled hearts. Now, I wish there were more teenagers here because I'm going to tell you a little bit about my teen years. When you look back, you wonder, okay, God, what were you doing? Fred was the guy from junior high on to college and early, you know, my freshman year of college in California. The girls love to come tell me their problems. Wouldn't date me, (laughs) (laughs) but they love to tell me their problems, that I sent out this vibe that, that Fred will listen Because for Fred, that's enough affirmation that I'm worth something, that at least they don't ignore me. They won't date me, but they'll tell me their stories. They'll trust me with some of the most sometimes seemingly ridiculous and intimate information. It's like, you're really telling that to a guy? Being willing to let someone share their troubled heart with you. Being willing to say that the gospel is for people with troubled hearts. Jesus, after one, well, you know, we're just going to use the way the text is broken up. After one chapter of both action, washing feet, reminding them that they are going to betray him, he says, Let not your hearts be troubled. And part of the way is that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. But we have to keep going in that sentence No one comes to the Father except through me. That's why we talk about the way, the truth, and the life, is to get people to the Father. That's what our community of worship is all about. That's what our community of love is all about, is that we are not orphans, we are not left alone. Jesus says later on in verse 21, he says, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Because the whole goal, first verse, sixth verse, other verses, is to know the Father. Now, I will close by saying that one of the ways we can acknowledge in a very personal way that we know the Father. Two ways. One is what it talks here about loving and caring for each other. But the other way about knowing the Father and because you love the Son is in your prayer life. Now, we're not going to look at it now, but Jesus is going to give us one of the most intimate and extended prayers in the upper room in John 17. He's going to take us in places in prayer that, that are so intimate and so powerful that open up the heavens, that, that bring it down to earth. Because that's part of what it means to come to the Father is to come in prayer. And I know after decades of working with people, after working with new Christians in the military, is it takes time for people to learn how to pray. And when I say learn how to pray, part of that is is taking the time, part of that is recognizing they're in the presence of God. Because after all, he is the way, and so we can pray. So you're going to spend time with God. You're going to read the prayers of Scripture. You can use the Psalms as prayers, as as kind of a a way, I won't say training wheels, because that's not the right way, but because I still use Psalms all these days, because it is a way of using God's prayers, the prayers that Jesus would have sung and prayed, to use that to come to the Father. See, the wonderful thing about prayer and and knowing the Father is it doesn't matter how old you are. Now, a lot of you know my story in my family that I grew up hearing the Word of God and praying like it it was just so natural. It was part of who we were. And one of the greatest memories I have is that when my sister, because we all voluntarily joined in when we were coming along, My sister, the fourth child, when she started praying, when she chose to pray, and her three older brothers knew what that meant, that God had done something in her life at that young age. And so, I've got these two verses that I want you to struggle with as I struggle with. To be willing to acknowledge when you have a troubled heart. But then to hear Jesus say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And that we can know the Father through Jesus Christ. And my prayer is that if you do have a troubled heart, talk to someone. Particularly men. I know that men, both in the United States, and I've seen articles here that affirm that they're the same here as they are there, that, that men have a trouble, hard time talking about their troubles, of being willing to admit that they don't have it all together, that they can't figure it all out. You go to the Father, and the Father gives you a community, because you're not an orphan. You're not an orphan. You're not left alone. And so you can find somebody to pray with, to read the Bible with. And I hope that as a pastor, I can help you, point you in a different direction. I don't have all the answers, because I don't know all the questions. But in my life, I have learned how to listen without jumping in with an answer, because when I was young, that was one of my problems. I listen and I say, I know what that is. I know what your problem is. Now, there were some problems that I dealt with that were so common, I had to learn to really be quiet because, um, and we're an adult congregation, but one of the things I dealt with early on in my ministry in the military was. I would have young men come in, and in five minutes I knew they were going to tell me that they had committed adultery and were trying to figure out how to tell their wives. But I had to keep my mouth shut until they got done with their story because I wanted to rush to a solution. I don't do that anymore. I listen. I let people tell their stories, why their heart is troubled. And I will close by saying that I believe that there is a great mental health epidemic, both a lot in the English-speaking world, the United States here, until we admit that there is a spiritual component to that mental health epidemic, it's really not going to be solved. We don't have all the answers as Christians, but we have some of the answers that people need that have real healing in their lives. Because there are real spiritual issues, because they are lost, because they feel like orphans. And so we quietly come alongside people and listen. And become that bridge that we can say, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Let us pray. Father, your son is so gracious. Your words are so powerful. They speak to every culture in every age. They speak to our hearts, our families, our communities. We pray now, Father, that as we go and have our tea and as we talk, we pray, Father, that if there are those who have trouble, that they would find the beginnings of a conversation We pray, Father, that also we would also remind people that Jesus is the way to the Father. That we need the Father or else we really are going to feel like orphans. And so now as we go into this next week, we pray that these words would comfort us. Not just because we know Jesus, but because Jesus knows us, and has brought us to the Father. We pray these things, Jesus, in your most holy name. Amen.